Should I leave that burp in the podcast? <laughs> Same with them. <laughs> that one time there was a bit in a podcast where your stomach rumbled and you were like, oh, my stomach rumbled. I hope the microphone didn't pick it up. And when I was editing, the stomach rumbling got picked up really well. And I was like, huh, I cut it out there. Oh, thank you. My dignity's intact. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Horse and Aloud, arguably one of the best Australian Bojack Horseman podcasts. I'm Jem DeSalis. And I'm Paige Winkle. And today we watched Season 5, Episode 6. Yes, do you know what it's called? I do, but I want to hear how you say it. Oh, okay. Is it... Oh, now I'm real nervous. Free churro? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Okay. It's just a word that I thought there was a higher than average chance of you saying in an interesting way. Oh, (laughs) He says it a lot in the episode. Yeah, that's true. As all of you listening presumably know, this episode is essentially a 25-minute long monologue. Yep. This episode of Horse and Aloud is going to be a little bit different because our options for dealing with a 25-minute monologue for doing it in the standard way would be to either have Paige talk through that monologue beat by beat, basically verbatim, or have me drop the audio from the whole episode in and just (laughs) call it a day. So we're not really going to do this in order and the episode may be shorter or more disjointed or more rambly than a lot of episodes are, because we're basically just going to talk about whatever this episode made us think about. Yeah. Which also means it may get morbid. Yeah, okay. Brace yourself for that, listeners. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'll quickly run through my plot synopsis. We see Bojack as a little kid with his dad picking him up from soccer practice, and then we go to the credits. And then we go to Bojack standing in front of a... What do you call that thing? A funeral. (laughs) In front of a funeral. (laughs) (laughs) I guess an audience... He's giving a eulogy. Yeah, a pew... No, it's not a pew. Anyway. A lectern. Oh, I thought you... Lectern. (laughs) Thank you. Right. Okay. (laughs) He's standing in front of a lot of things. Yeah, as you said, he's just like talking for the whole episode and the reveal is at the end he goes to open up the casket to look at his mom and excuse me for a second i need to yell at my cat stop it (laughs) get out of the couch i don't know how she does it but she crawls into the couch okay (laughs) sorry um yeah so at the end of the episode it's revealed when he opens the lid of the coffin that he hasn't actually been speaking to people there for his mum's funeral because he has gone into the wrong room. Yeah, and then he looks and all of the other people at the funeral are lizards. Yeah, I hope they got him to do the hiss because then he's like voiced every single bit of... Uh, There are like little bits of like murmuring and stuff. In the uh, background, yeah. That's a good point. Th- those could be kind of stock noises. Like it, it's still, it's still pretty likely that the only voice actor they actually got to record for this episode was Will Arnett. Yeah, because he also voices Butterscotch. Yeah, so the, the <laughs> it's fun because we get a, <laughs> a short Will Arnett monologue and then credits and then a long Will Arnett monologue <laughs> and in the first one Butterscotch talks and. Bojack doesn't, and in the second one, Bojack talks, and Butterscotch doesn't, because he's long dead. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Butterscotch talks like a fucking novel. 
I emerged from my sanctum this afternoon to discover that not only had she not made me lunch, which is a meal I need in order to live, but she'd furthermore locked herself in the bedroom to weep. Like, I bet the real reason he was so late to pick up Bojack was because he was composing his fucking lecture on how men are men and women are women and you can't rely on people. Yeah. Ah, that's super interesting. Bojack does internalize that as well. That you can't rely on anyone else? Yeah, like, at the end of the eulogy, he basically says, like, I guess it's good that I know the only person I can rely on is me, mm. which is kind of the same as the way Butterscotch's monologue end is that you're, you're actually lucky, Bojack, because you've learned this lesson early. Yeah. You can't rely on other people, Bojack. It's good for you to know that. It's good to know that there is nobody looking out for me. It's good that I know that. Oh, boy, that's rough. Yeah, and we also find out how Butterscotch died in this episode. Yeah, in a dueling accident. He wrote the paper this letter saying anyone who didn't like his book, he would challenge to a duel. Well, eventually this found its way to some kook in Montana who was as batshit as he was and he took him up on the offer. But in the middle of the ten paces, Dad turned to ask the guy if he'd actually read the book and what he thought. But not looking where he was going, tripped over an exposed root and bashed his head on a rock. What, what an idiot. It's interesting the cycles we see in this, because Bojack obviously thinks his dad was a dipshit. He's talking about how his dad was kind of deluded into thinking that his novel was amazing and thought that all of the critics who didn't like it were wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how Bojack talks about horsing around. Yeah, that's a good point. People are constantly telling him it was a sh kind of a shitty show, and he's constantly saying, like, no, it was amazing. Yeah. But I'd argue that horsing around, no, that's us. No, that's not us. Horsing around, um, <laughs> horsing around had actual fans, whereas I don't think his dad's book ever had fans. It's similar how Bojack sees it, but I think the two things had a very different level of success. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really good point. I wonder what Butterscotch's novel was actually about in the end, because kind of the joke of him talking about it when he meets Beatrice is that he's going to write the great American novel, but he doesn't actually know, like, who's in it or what. But yeah. he did eventually finish it and get it published, so, like, I wonder what it was like. I enjoyed there was a joke in here about he was... He was on a roll. He'd written a sentence that had gone on for pages, and I just cringed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. I'm just having a little Google about what the... Oh, there it is. The great American novel actually refers to. Like, is it like The Great Gatsby? Just, is that a... I don't know. Things like On the Road and, like, the fucking... What's it called? Catcher in the Rye. Like, just stories about dudes discovering and musing. Cormac yeah. McCarthy's probably in there. Oh, it's Killer Mockingbird. Yeah. Oh, The Great Gatsby is in there. There was one written in 2010, apparently, according to Wikipedia, called huh. Freedom by Jonathan Franzen. Do we have, like, great Australian novels? I mean, obviously we have Australian novels that are pretty good, but I don't know if we, like, jerk off on them as much as America does. <laughs> The first thing that came up was Tim Winton's Cloud Street. Of course it did. Yeah. I actually don't read that much Australian literature in the same way that I don't watch that many Australian TV shows or movies. I definitely did when I was a kid because there were more of them in libraries and things, but like, I can't really think of any novels I've read as an adult for the first time that yeah. are by Australian authors. One thing that I find really interesting about this episode is that we never see... Beatrice? 
this season, I guess, at all. Yeah, I mean, weird. obviously, it's not actually even her in the coffin. We see there's this one kind of pseudo-flashback where, like, we see the silhouettes behind Bojack and one of them is a silhouette of Beatrice dancing. I think that's really interesting, particularly because Beatrice's mother only appears as kind of a mind's eye silhouette once she's been lobotomized. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like, the fact that this is an episode all about Bojack talking about his mother, but the flashback from when he was a child has his dad in it, not his mum, is a really interesting choice. Yeah, it is. There's a stained glass window set with doves of peace that are people. Yeah, I thought we might see how they did angels, but... Nope. This episode has been compared a lot to the underwater episode because it tells that it's a very interesting example of storytelling, mm -hmm. but it's kind of the opposite. Like this is all speech and no character interaction, no nothing happening really, like just the one thing happens. Yeah. It did not slip my notice that in the episode before this one, Bojack says TV is a visual medium, no episode should have that much talking. <laughs> oh, that's really good, I didn't pick up on that. Everyone just did a really good job on this episode, like obviously Will Arnett's performance is excellent, but the animators were also like, it must be pretty hard to animate make truly emotive facial expressions onto a horse. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But <laughs> I don't think the show gets enough credit for that. Like, they do a really good job of doing that, given that horses themselves are basically incapable of making expressions. Yeah. But they don't overdo it, because if they gave him too much human facial movement, he wouldn't look like a horse anymore. So they do a very good job. There are also a lot of camera angles that we get, like a lot of different camera angles as Bojack's talking. Not that there's a camera, but that's still what you call them in animation, I think. That is a good point. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but now I'm just, like, running the cursor over it. Because there's, like, I don't know their names for the shots, but there's shots where you see, like, the whole coffin, and then at one point he kind of wanders off stage for a bit. Stage is probably the wrong word. Maybe altar. <laughs> That's sort of a stage. Yeah. I've never been to a funeral. Huh. That's really interesting. I've never had anyone die, except for... My grandma died when I was, like, a newborn, and a family friend died when I was very young, but I didn't, like, I was too young to really understand or care that much what was going on. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I guess technically I have been to a funeral because I was at my grandma's funeral, but I was just a chubby little flesh nugget making weird noises. <laughs> I think my mom was telling me that I kept, like, laughing during the service. Oh, I know. <laughs> it sort of worries me that I've never had anyone die in a way because I don't know how I'm gonna take it. My cat died and that's meant to be sort of practice for grieving a human, but I'd already moved away so like I don't think about that very much. I just kind of, when I go home, I'm like, oh yeah, there's no cat anymore and he's buried under the tree that was planted over my placenta. Okay. Doke. Like I wasn't there when he died, he just kind of suddenly wasn't there the next time I went there. I know that in general, I don't deal well with change or loss, so TLDR, I am not looking forward to knowing what it's like to have someone I know die. Yeah. It would be weird if I did. <laughs> That's a really good um, point. I comfort myself with the knowledge that I just 
happen to have a lot of outfits that would be really good to wear to funerals. <laughs> just because of the kind of person I am. <laughs> I don't think that really makes a difference because I think it it never gets easier. Like it just it it always sucks and it's gut wrenching and yeah I don't I don't think practice makes you better at it if that makes sense. No, but like people are definitely predisposed to different levels of being fucked up by it and I worry that like I don't know maybe it wouldn't have made a difference but it's like I didn't vomit from like age seven till I was like 18 like I threw up a few times when I was really young and really sick and then I just went for a really long time without ever throwing up when I started drinking I was like I can't ever drink so much that I vomit because what if my body doesn't know how to handle it and my head breaks in half? (laughs) And I I think in the back of my head, I feel kind of similar. But I mean, on the plus side, if that is true, when I did finally drink enough to vomit from it, it was fine. Turns out I'm a really good vomiter. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I will also be an excellent griever, but I sort of doubt it. Also... I just don't really have, like, that much of a concept of death. I really love graveyards. Like, I go out of my way to visit interesting graveyards, and that's kind of always been a thing. But I only really enjoy them aesthetically and kind of historically. And obviously I know there are dead bodies underneath the plots, but, like, I know it in the same way that I know that my body's made of molecules. Like, I can't actually conceptualize them there, so cemeteries never feel particularly deathy to me, or particularly sad, or particularly creepy. They just always read to my brain as places full of interesting stone shapes and plants and things. I just kind of wonder if, like, one day someone I know is going to die and I'm going to see their burial and suddenly my entire relationship with graveyards is going to change. Like all of the dead bodies that have been under the ground the whole time are just waiting for me to realize that they're there on a deeper level. Yeah. In my experience, I also used to feel like that and that didn't change till about a year ago when I saw a dead body. So, Hmm. yeah. It's one of those things that's, it's kind of impossible to tell. You don't know how you'll feel yeah. or what you'll do or how you'll react until you have to. Yeah. Um, I think it was played for a joke, but Bojack's reenactment of his, his mum's face. Mm. Did you find that funny? Or um, like it was over-exaggerated? Or? I felt it was a joke. Okay. <laughs> like it didn't particularly disturb me, but it wasn't like I was like, huh. It was kind of funny that... She- he said she looked like a pissed off toy dinosaur. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate it. <laughs> it is exaggerated, but it's also, I don't know, it just makes me feel ill. Did I tell you about the, um, I think it's called Body Worlds exhibition? I've heard a lot about that. But did I tell you about it? No, I don't think you did. Well, get ready for a fresh perspective. It's kind of creepy. Okay. 
So, listeners, if you don't know what this is, this is um, basically a medical education exhibition that, like, it, it tours around the world, or there might be a lot of different ones, but um, it's basically a series of plastinated human corpses, so, like, people donate their body to medical science, or to this specifically, or they get grave robbed, I don't know the procedure. All of them are flayed, so you can see, like, the muscles and stuff, like, the dermis has been completely removed, and then they're all in, like, various levels of dissection or their organs are removed or they've been like split in weird ways basically the idea is that so you can like get a really interesting grasp of real human anatomy and they're all kind of preserved with this like layer of plastic i went and saw that recently and it's really interesting the way they ease you into it because the first thing you see is just a human skeleton and you're like oh it's a bit weird that this is a human skeleton and the next one you see like has some of the muscles still on and then the next one has eyes and then like they're all skinned people in different positions and then, like, they just get increasingly Hannibal-esque. Okay. You suddenly come across one that's been, like, split into, like, four slices so that you can see all the different bits. And then there's one that's, like, doing a handstand and then, like, balancing all of its organs on its foot. And then there's a guy that's holding his own skin like it's a garment that he just took off. I hate this so much. Yeah, you probably shouldn't see it, but... (laughs) That's my only experience of seeing dead bodies, really. Okay. And I was talking to my parents about it, and it's really interesting because by my age, I'm pretty sure both of my parents had had pretty significant experience with dead bodies because my mum's a physio, and for her training for that, she, like, dissected human cadavers, and my dad was a forensic scientist, now retired, and he has worked with human corpses. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen one except for those. And it was, the Body Worlds ones were weird because I was constantly right on the edge of being just freaked out as fuck, Mm -hmm. but never quite freaked out at all. Because even though I knew that these were real human bodies, they looked fake to me, partly because they were plastinated, partly because I'm used to seeing special effects things and like models in museums. I just couldn't get them to quite register as real human corpses but every now and then it would get close but i was surprised like there were lots of children in there who were really chill about it maybe they just couldn't comprehend it though partly like they probably had a lot of the same things as me like they're used to things like this being fake but i think that it's also partly just that you have the reaction to things that you're taught and the place was full of adults who weren't freaked out oh okay yeah so they're watching other people and mirroring that. I remember going to like a science thing when I was like 16 and they had like a, I don't know what you call it, but it was like a leg that had been preserved for study. Mm. And I, I I was already pretty familiar with death by that point and I was really icked out about it, even though I knew it was there voluntarily. But my best friend at the time was so excited. She just wanted to touch it and I could not understand mm. that feeling, that that fascination but maybe that's just why i didn't go into a medical field (laughs) you're a really interesting case to me for this um if you're not comfortable with this then we can i can cut it out of the show but listeners pages squicked out by bones yeah even depict like plastic skulls yep they freak me out and that's really interesting to me because Although you're definitely in the minority there, it's much harder to explain why most people aren't at all freaked out by skulls. Oh, okay. Like, it's kind of weird that people aren't. Most people, 
if they saw a really good model of like 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 lots of people are squicked out by blood and particularly like muscle and stuff but i feel like most people see even real bones even real human bones like in a medical setting and aren't disturbed by them like maybe a little more with human bones and like i've thought about this a lot because it was really novel to me when I first learned that you were squicked out by bones. All I can think is that evolutionarily, we're not going to be as disturbed by clean bones because A, if they're bones, that means that the predator has gone. Mm -hmm. And B, if they're clean bones, there's nothing on it that's going to make you sick. So, like, still cause for concern, but it's less immediately dangerous than seeing, like, a partially decomposed corpse or a fresh corpse or something. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I understand what you're saying from an evolutionary point. Maybe I'm too sheltered. It all makes me uncomfortable. I mean, brains are weird. Maybe you just have a bit of your brain that is predisposed to be creeped out by body matter. But, like, it's possible that maybe when you were really young, you observed something that, like, led you to make the visceral connection between skeletons and dead bodies much more, like, explicitly than most kids. Because okay. I feel like most kids see bones for the first time, like, in, like, you know, Halloween decorations, or, like, as, like, spooky villains in TV shows. I'm alright with c cartoon bones. Yeah. And, like, fossils and stuff, like, of dinosaurs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Is it because they're really <laughs> old, or because they're usually casts? Like, you know they're not real bones. I well, that, that shouldn't make a difference if you're creeped out by replica bones. I think... I think it, it honestly has something to do with as soon as I see bones, especially a skull, I imagine what sits on top of that, like the face and the eyes and the teeth and the tongue and the different hairstyles and the different noses and stuff, if that makes any sense. And the lack of that there makes me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even, I don't know, like in movies and TV shows. No, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not 100% sure. But I was going to say that I'm probably more creeped out by a, a skull than a severed head. But that's weird. Huh. <laughs> I came to Harry Potter relatively late, even though I would have been old enough to read the first one when it came out. Basically, I was I was still young enough that my mom was reading to me, um, but I was sort of like... I think I was old enough that I probably could have read them by myself but like it was a bonding thing mm -hmm. but basically so my mum read me the first three because they were all already out and then the fourth one came out and she read me that one and like the fourth harry potter book is where they start to get like more disturbing in a lot of ways mm -hmm. my mum changed bits of it when she read it to me to make it less disturbing oh, okay that's cute she did more than this but like this this is the only example that we can pick out is that when she described the dark mark being cast up in the sky, mm -hmm. she described it as a head with a snake coming out of the mouth or whatever, or like wrapped around it. Okay. Instead of as a skull. And it being a head was way more disturbing to me than it being a skull. <laughs> <laughs> so I make fun of her about that sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, basically... 
I find it interesting that more people aren't creeped up by bones. It would be really interesting to, like... Like, if you saw, like, a plushie of Jack Skellington, that wouldn't creep you out. No, it wouldn't. So it would be really interesting to get, like, that and then a real human skull and, like, get you to look at each one individually and, like, figure out at exactly what point of abstraction you start to find it disturbing. Yeah. Like, I mean, we won't do that because you would probably find it unpleasant and the results would only be interesting to us and I'm lazy. But... (laughs) Like, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that was a interesting tangent. <laughs> yeah, five stars. Obviously, one of the main themes of the TV show Bojack Horseman is that Bojack is sad. Have yes. we ever seen Bojack cry? Hmm. I don't think so. Crying in the shower comes up. <laughs> yeah, but has he cried on scene? Oh, yeah. When they break into the... Oh, yeah. um... Into the Nixon Museum and and shoot the scene, then he, like, goes and smokes privately and just starts crying. Yeah, good remembering. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that they don't overuse it. There's a bit during this monologue while he's doing the eulogy where, like, his face kind of contorts in a way that, like, it sort of looks like he's about to cry, but then he doesn't. Mm. An interesting quote... That I pulled out of this episode was once your parents are gone, you realize you're next. Hmm. Yeah. An interesting quote I pulled out of this episode was back in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show. <laughs> um, I thought the the fake story he tells about his mom in the jacket was really mm. sad. All I know about being good, I learned from TV. And in TV, flawed characters are constantly showing people they care with these surprising grand gestures. And I think that part of me still believes that's what love is. But in real life, the big gesture isn't enough. You need to be consistent. You need to be dependably good. You can't just screw everything up and then take a boat out in the ocean to save your best friend or solve a mystery and fly to Kansas. You need to do it every day, which is so hard. I really liked the stuff about Becca. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know what Becca is. Do you know Ted Danson? Not personally. <laughs> or abstractly. If you could, you could, could be like, why are the Australian accents so bad on The Good Place? Hint. <laughs> <laughs> we can't talk about The Good Place again. <laughs> yeah, I didn't leave that in the show. Um, But yeah, he's the old guy. The Michael. Okay. Ah, the Michael. Even the shitty manipulative things Bojack does are uh, grand gestures like sabotaging Todd's rock opera and wanting to ruin Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter's wedding. Those are still kind of grand gestures for the sake of love, but in a shitty way. Uh, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Huh. The first time viewing this episode was really surreal because you're like, there's a, there's a point where you're like, hang on, is this whole episode going to be this? Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> I think the cutting around helps with that. Like, I think if it was just a steady cam on Bojack's face, apart apart from not being particularly visually interesting, I think that you would realize much more quickly that, like, this has been a really long eulogy scene. Yeah. Oh, there's a bit where he talks about hurting himself in the stunt, and he's like, I have to take two of these every morning, and... I slowed it down to frame by frame because it's hard to see, but he takes three of his pills. Oh, okay. Not two. Oh, awesome, Bojack. So that's fun. I think he jokes about because of the shooting schedule, he doesn't know when morning is, but I'm pretty sure he knows when morning is. He's just using it as an excuse to take more pills. Yeah. I don't know. That probably is a genuine, like, 
thing as well. Like, shooting schedules can be super fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you could figure that out. You, you could set a timer or something. Like, if it's pain medication, then there's not much point waking up just to take it and going back to sleep, I don't mm, think. I'd argue there was. <laughs> I just think it's very rude of you to suggest that Bojack is abusing his opiates. <laughs> and my, my mum gets up at six in the morning to take a panadine fort and then goes back to bed. Hmm. Because otherwise she'll wake up in too much pain to get out of bed, if that makes sense. So she okay. hits it before, if she hits it, that's like it's a drug. It is a drug, but you know, like, um, <laughs> catches it just before the last lot wears off. Yeah. She can ride it into the next day. <laughs> God. <laughs> My mom's not a drug addict. She just has a chronic illness, I swear. That she takes drugs for? Yeah, she does. Listeners, that's kind of an interesting linguistic difference in Australian English versus American English is that we only really refer to illicit drugs as drugs or recreational drugs as drugs. We don't really talk about medication being drugs. Yeah, like we would never refer to a pharmacist as a drugstore. Yeah, like that. that's always kind of like slightly funny to me mm. when they talk about like drugstores in America. Yeah. There's probably some interesting trickle-down effects of that, because America has, like, huge stigmatization against illegal drugs, but I wonder if the fact that you'll refer to legal, like, medicinal drugs as drugs as well means that you're more likely to be stigmatized for taking prescribed medication? Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. I bet there's a study on that. Also, you guys drive on the wrong side of the road, what's up with that? <laughs> Fahrenheit? Isn't that German for drivingness? <laughs> Jumping back to Bojack's accident. So Bojack mentions that he seriously thought he was going to die, and his last thoughts were, won't they be sorry? And he mentions that he doesn't even really know who they is. Yeah. Which is super interesting. Yeah, I guess in this context, it's his parents, but... The viewers, he knows. <laughs> It's actually the Truman Show. I read a theory about how, like, Rick from Rick and Morty is aware that he's in a TV show and that actually explains a lot of his behavior. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that. <laughs> I really wonder, like, let's say about a year has passed since the end of the last season, just for argument's sake at this point. But, like, a decent amount of time has passed. We've talked about this. Hollyhocks in college, you know, Philbert is well underway. Mm -hmm. Time has passed since the beginning of the season. So I wonder what their relationship was like, Bojack and Beatrice, for the rest of her life. Because they reached that kind of... Like, they had that kind of nice moment at the end where he, like, talked to her and was nice and didn't say go fuck yourself. Yeah. And I kind of wonder how frequently he visited her after that. Like, he was there when she was dying in the hospital and i feel like he wouldn't necessarily have been if that had happened earlier yeah i'm also really interested to know how long he was at the hospital for and did he like take her to a nicer nursing home or did he still leave her in that one where he like wanted the shittiest room yeah that's a good point. I mean, he obviously hasn't forgiven her, given the way he talks about her in his eulogy. I'm sorry, mother. You're not a huge bitch. You were a huge bitch. And now you're dead. I, I think that part of his, like, show of compassion last season was that he sort of realized that she wasn't the person he was angry at anymore. Yeah, I definitely agree. 
He might have put her in a nicer home. Yeah, dementia does. At some point, you're just like, oh, this isn't the person I knew. They're gone now. And there's mm. this new person here. But I, I think it's it gives me a lot of hope for Bojack that he was able to recognize that. I think a lot of people don't. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being cynical. But mm. from my experience. Like, obviously, this episode was sad-ish. But, it like, I could tell that it's an episode of Bojack that is, like, not really affecting me the same way it would affect someone who has lost a loved one. Yeah. And so I sort of make a mental note, like, oh, I've got to watch this again when I have experienced bereavement oh, okay. <laughs> and see how it is. <laughs> like, in the same- there's, there's, like, a Mountain Goats album called Get Lonely that is, like, the worst possible album to listen to if you've just had a breakup. And, like, I remember listening to it when I was, like, in a relationship and I was like, gonna save this for my next breakup, have, gonna have a real emotional time. And then I did listen to it, and I feel like that's, like, exactly the kind of thing I would do with things like this. I've been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I won't give any details or spoilers, but I just watched the episode The Body. Mm. Listeners, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And that was another one where I was like, this is a masterpiece. I can't wait to watch this when I know what it's like for, to know someone that is dead. Yeah. I mean, when I say I can't wait, I super can. But, like, it's it's like I there are things where I can tell that they are very expertly pushing a button that I have not yet had installed. <laughs> and I'm curious to see how they emotionally affect me once I get that upgrade. That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> I think we kind of already touched on this, but jumping back to it, Bojo talks about how orphans get to imagine parents, how they might have been, like how their parents, mm. they do have imagined parents. They get to have imaginary parents. And I thought that was really interesting. I think you only think about that if you've had really bad parents, though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And it, like, that's that's another disconnect that I often feel with Bojack and with a lot of media and even with, very sadly, some of my friends, is that I'm never gonna know what it's like to have abusive parents. That is a button that a lot of people must be having pressed very well that I'm never gonna have. Hmm. I wonder how well it speaks to the experience of having neglectful or abusive parents. Yeah. From the Reddit threads, I gather pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if it was, if that's Raf, is that how you say his name, Raphael? Yeah. If that was his experience or if it was just a character trait he gave Bojack. Because he obviously does it very well from an like, outside looking in, I can see that. So was it something he experienced himself or... Has he talked to a lot of people that experienced it? That's a very good question. I think that the advice, write what you know, is kind of bullshit in a lot of ways, and that you should know what you write. Like, you can write about pretty much anything you want, even if it's completely alien to your life experience, as long as you properly research it and speak to people who have had it wherever possible. Mm -hmm. With some caveats that I won't go into, but, like, that becomes even more the case when you're making a TV show or a movie or something, anything that's highly collaborative, because you don't need to have personally had the experience. Like, the episode where Diane goes to Vietnam, they got Vietnamese Americans <laughs> to help with that episode. Yeah. So, like, it's entirely possible that Raphael 
had experiences like that in his childhood, but he doesn't need to have. Mm, no, that's a good point. So many different people are writing it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he brought up Diane's dad's death and mm. the conversation they had about it afterwards that we didn't see about how she felt sad about his death long after than she, like she expected that feeling to go away sooner than it did. That's something I think about a lot, like what it must feel like to like hate someone but also love them. My grandmother had a really abusive sister. Like I remember being young and still seeing the scars my grandma had from her sister that burnt her with boiling, like through boiling water on her when she was six. Wow. And my grandma still named my auntie, like she gave her a middle name that was the name of her abusive sister because they didn't talk anymore. Grandma got out of that situation. She never looked back, but she still wanted to be in touch, like be connected to the family in that way. And that's how she did it. Yeah. Through naming of her kids. I, I, I don't understand that at all. I've talked about it to mum and my auntie as well, and they don't understand it either. But yeah, it's just inconceivable. How do you yeah, recognize somebody is not a good person, but still also understand that they're your family and you want to be connected to them like that. Yeah, can't comprehend it. Family relationships. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> See, when I watched this episode, I didn't really connect Bojack's re- relationship, like with his parents, to my friends and their relationships with their parents. Like I've had friends that have pretty bad relationships with their parents, but I don't know, Bojack's also seems kind of, like his parents are shit people. But it's also like there's a generational thing there as well. It's deliberately kind of a caricature of shitty parents. Yeah. Yeah, like the the dad that thinks the woman's place is in the kitchen and doing the child rearing and stuff. Like it's satirical, but it's also kind of impossible to properly satire because like, I guarantee you, there are parents who are as bad as Bojack's parents in the same way that like you, you can never make a villain cartoonishly evil enough that there isn't like a real world political leader at least somewhere in history who has been that bad (laughs) yeah that's a good point (laughs) they probably just have less robots (laughs) so in the flashback butterscotch refers to beatrix as having an episode or something and it kind of Mm. it was like oh does she have some of the like genetically maybe she has some of the same uh, mental health issues as her (gasps) mum She inherited the lobotomy. (laughs) (laughs) She did inherit some of her mother's mental health problems, including having a shitty husband. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like he's shitty in a different way. Like, at least Beatrix's dad was kind of cheery when he was being shitty. (laughs) (laughs) Butterscotch is just so grumpy. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't make it better, but... (laughs) I feel like it's almost worse if someone's kind of cheery or charming while being really shitty. Like, it makes people who haven't been looking at the details less likely to believe you if you ever try to tell them. Yeah, it's more gaslighty, isn't it? Yeah, like, charming abusers are always going to be, like, worse in many ways. So, the beginning of the episode where he's talking about, for once, he had a reason to feel shitty and how he hates when people ask if he's having an awesome day, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Like, he's talking about how he usually feels shitty for no reason, and, like, as always, Bojack, go to therapy. <laughs> you have a problem with serotonin reuptake. But also, there is genuinely a weird amount of pressure on people to pretend to be happy in society. Yeah. 
Like, it's it has always low-key bothered me, and it's not like this is a hot take, but the fact that a meaningless how are you, how you going, what's up kind of question is the thing that people say and that it's sort of rude to answer truthfully unless you are doing pretty good. Yeah. Like, it's basically just meaningless words at that point. I think we should bring back how's it hanging (laughs) because that's like a weird question about your dick (laughs) and that's like just as arbitrary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) I'd sign that petition. If someone's like, how's it hanging? You'd be like, pendulously as always, what about you, my friend? (laughs) But like, regardless of whether or not you have a penis, I think that everyone should... I just think that if instead of having this like subtle social pressure to pretend that you're hypothetically happy all the time. We all had pressure to pretend that we have this hypothetical, like, massive penis dangling all the time. (laughs) I think that, like, that would be more absurd but less damaging in the long run. Yeah. (laughs) Or we could make a new one, like, the new thing that you could say after saying hello could be like, how's your falcon? And you just be like, it's real good, how's your falcon? Like... (laughs) Odds are, neither of you's got a fucking falcon. (laughs) But that's not what this is about. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's such a meaningless conversation. Like, I've always thought that, but now that I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, it's fucked. And then we have this whole day, I don't know if it's, I don't know if they have it in the US, but we have Are You Okay Day. Just one day where you really ask the question, (laughs) and you mean it this time, give me an honest answer. It means that when you genuinely want to know how someone is, you have to do this weird fucking, like, emphasis dance. Yeah. And you like- To do it the other day. So someone's like, how are you? And you're like, pretty- Like, when I see my therapist, or my doctor, or what- Like, when I see someone who I'm going to specifically pay to help me with the fact that I feel bad about myself for no reason, they always say, how are you? And I have an intense social pressure to say, pretty good, and then talk about how I've been really sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, but, like, if, if they say, how's it going, and I'm, like, not so great, then it feels like I've gotten to the meat of the issue weirdly quickly, and that that was rude. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's like, they usually ask you that when you walk in so in my head i'm like i'll do the i'm good thank you da, 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 da. and then i sit down and then that all shifts and then you're like mm. well actually this really horrible thing happened like i take it from when you're sitting down but it's yeah that's unnecessarily confusing i almost never make an appointment to go and talk to someone about how my falcon is <laughs> and i'm willing to bet almost no one does you know I might sometimes need to make an appointment to see my doctor where, like, I will be thrown back into this dilemma when he asks how my dick's hanging, (laughs) because maybe I have, like, uncomfortable persistent erections, (laughs) and I'll have to be like, oh, doc, it's not. I have priapism. Give me some (laughs) anti-Viagra. But, like, that would still happen less often (laughs) than the other thing. <laughs> oh, I think you may come up with a really good solution. I just wish we could really action it. Yeah. Ugh.
Did I tell you I caught a stray cat? Sorry? I caught a stray cat. Oh. Yeah, it was a goddamn- Who, who threw it? <laughs> this when you asked how the falcon was going, it reminded me of that. Why did that happen? Well, there was this cat and it looked real sick. And I was like, if you had a cat and it looked that sick, you wouldn't be letting it outside. Like, it was real sick. So mm. I called the people and the people were like, we don't do anything about it. Like, we might look at the cat if you catch it and bring it to us. <laughs> so I hired a trap and I bought some tuna and I caught it at like 10.30 at night and it was so stressed and I felt so bad. But I went to wow. sleep <laughs> and then I got up and I made the earliest vet appointment I could, which was like 8.30. Still get to the vets. Hope it's okay. I feel like if that happened to me... If I was in your situation, we would have very similar objectives, eventuating hopefully in the exact same outcome. But the point in the timeline where you looked into hiring a trap, I would have tried to build a net. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would have built a cat trap in some kind of wily e. Coyote fashion. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, like, gotten all of the same things done, because I care about cats. I went outside yesterday and looked in, like, the little garden-y garden bed bit next to my doorstep, where mm -hmm. the package people leave packages to see if there was any packages. Yeah. And the only thing that was lying there was a big fucking dead rat. Oh. And I was like, who the fuck sent me this? <laughs> And so I put it in the bin. And that's my story about recent animals. <laughs> I brought that tangent round to death, so it's all staying in the show. <laughs> Why was Bojack not wondering who all the lizards at the funeral were? Yeah, right. It's a bit of a plot hole. Also, none of his friends turned up. They probably only would have if he'd asked them, and he probably didn't want to ask them. Oh, okay, good point. And... Also, I'm really curious, who was in the room where Beatrice's actual body was in? Were there any guests at the funeral? Did she really know anyone else? That's a really good question, because she wasn't living in LA until she moved in with Bojack, was she? No, and like, she might have had friends at the nursing home. It's interesting that Hollyhock wasn't there. Yeah, that's a good point. We know how uncomfortable she feels about that whole thing. Maybe she just didn't want to deal with it. Maybe he didn't tell her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were all these incredibly patient lizards who someone they know died. <laughs> like, the most they ever do is, like, a little bit of very quiet murmuring, despite the fact that they must have all realized very, very quickly this guy was not- like, so presumably one of them was meant to be doing a eulogy. Like, you'd think that there would have been someone in that crowd who would just be like, wrong funeral! Yeah, <laughs> like, but maybe the person who's meant to be doing the person in the coffin, his eulogy is actually giving a eulogy for Beatrix. It isn't for Beatrix. Like, maybe it was just a straight swap. I still think someone should have been like, hey. Yeah. Also, presumably that person would have been like, where's all my family? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The end theme this episode is a version of it done in organs. Hmm. Also, he says no point beating a dead horse at one point, and I was like, hey, it's the thing we say, but then I was like, man, we haven't said that in like a fucking year. <laughs> 
Like, I feel like we transitioned to shall we murder a horse, like, pretty early. We've definitely been saying shall we murder a horse way longer than we ever said no point beating a dead horse at this point, I would say. Yeah. Speaking of killing a horse. Yeah, shall we stop doing the podcast? Yeah, maybe. Episode. I don't have anything yeah. else to say, that's all. Yeah, I actually don't either. That's, that was my last note, was that he said that. So that worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we still managed to record for an hour and 20 minutes, so disjointed, yes, but not unusually short, probably. Wow. Yeah. You can email us at horseandaloud at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at horseandaloudpod. You can also find us on Tumblr or Facebook. If you like the show, please rate or review it on iTunes, or just do a really nice eulogy for it once we've finished with season five. Huh. I mean, presumably then we'll come back from the dead and do season six. <laughs> I'm Gem DeSalis. Oh, and I'm Pedro Winkle. And until next time, suck it, dumb, dumb shits. shits.